Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at the, at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on Anthology and go to Book Tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode is brought to you by Page and Pairing. Page and Pairing is the weekly email that brings you book wine, and recipe recommendations, plus exclusive perks like author interviews and essays, music playlists, and writing tips. Sign up for free at pageandpairing.com. And if you're tired of wondering what to read, drink, and cook, Page and Pairing does it all for you, dropping all three into your inbox. Books are definitely better when paired with great wine and delicious food. So Page and Pairing is the weekly email that brings you all three curated for your pleasure and dropped in your inbox. Again, sign up for free at pageandpairing.com. Charles Yu is the author of four books, including his latest, Interior Chinatown, which won the National Book Award for Fiction. 
It was also a finalist in Le Prix Médici Étranger and longlisted for the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. He has received the National Book Foundation's 5 Under 35 Award, has been nominated for two Writers Guild of America Awards for his work on the HBO series Westworld, and has also written for shows on FX, AMC, Facebook Watch, and Adult Swim. His fiction and nonfiction have appeared in a number of publications, including The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, Wired, Time, and Plowshares. Charles's book that we're talking about in this podcast is called The Only Living Girl on Earth, and it was a scribed original, S-C-R-I-B-D. And if you aren't familiar with scribed, you definitely need to check it out because I didn't know about it, to be honest with you, which somehow I don't know how I missed it. But anyway, it has amazing original works by fantastic authors like Charles Yu and Elizabeth Berg and so many others, and also copies of lots of children's books. So now my kids can pick out a copy of their favorite book when we're at bedtime and we get to go on Scribed and they pick a book. So anyway, S-C-R-I-B-D, and we're talking about Charles Yu and his Scribed original today. Welcome, Charles. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks, Zibby. I'm excited to be here. You sound it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I am excited. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You don't have to send it. I'm excited to talk to you because I just finished, like, when was it? Last month, watching the National Book Awards on my iPad as I, not my iPad, on my laptop as I took it through the house as I put all my kids to bed and was watching and watching. And then I saw you on there winning and like crying and being so excited. And I was like, who's this guy? I've got to get to know him. And here we are. So it was great. <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What was that experience like for you? Let's just jump in there. It was really strange. I was not expecting at all <laughs> to win. I, I literally didn't write anything down. So I was, Roxanne Gay said my name or said the title of the book. And my son, who was sitting right next to me, he's 11, he and I just started screaming at each <laughs> other. Like we didn't know what to do. My wife was, one chair over and she and I had been drinking champagne that my publisher had sent, you know, like, congratulations. It's so exciting to be a finalist. And I was honestly ready to like, I thought this was going to be a teachable moment. Like this is how you experience, you know, disappointment in front of your kids. And like there, and then, and then I didn't, you know, and then I won. And I was so excited that I forgot to thank my wife and kids and my parents, <laughs> a lot of whom, you know, they're, their stories and experiences inspired the book. And I just felt gutted right away. So it was like this mix of one of the most exciting times of my life. And then immediately, like, I literally like <laughs> blanked. It was awful. So, oh, well, I'm sure they didn't hold it against you. I mean, everybody understands, right? I hope. I don't know. <laughs> well, I hold it against myself. Oh, well, I mean, maybe this speaks to your bigger character that you could go and win like this big accolade and yet find the negative in it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe I should just write things down. Yeah. Next time you'll yeah. be prepared to win. <laughs> Setting expectations. So your new story, first of all, I had not even been familiar with Scribed until I read your story. And now I am obsessed and my kids are using it and I'm using it. And it is the greatest app for all sorts of books and stories, including Scribed Originals, which your new story, The Only Living Girl in the World, is featured on. So how did you link up with Scribed? And then I want you to tell listeners, if you don't mind, a little about that story. Sure, definitely. So I had known Amy Grace Lloyd for years. She edited a story of mine. Sure, she yeah, had acquired a story of mine and helped me edit it. 
for Playboy actually about a decade ago. And I just, we had always stayed in touch. And she came to me late, not late, actually early, about a year ago saying, you know, do you have anything that might be sort of longish and enough that it could stand alone? You know, not not a, a short story, but something that, you know, someone might want to read for a decent amount of time. I thought, well, one, I thought that's a cool idea, you know, just like how often do I just want half an hour or like 45 minutes worth of reading? I can't quite get into a whole book right now. I've got kids. So I'm like, well, how do I, how do I find that thing? So I thought that was cool. And I had this story that I'd been working on for years that, you know, needed some polishing up. And so Amy and I worked on it together over the course of several months and scribe is publishing it, which is really exciting to me. So neat. And tell me about this vision of yours as sort of earth in the year 3021 or so, where the gift shop is sort of all that's left, the remnants of a amusement park that was a failure. And so now all you have is the best part of the amusement park, theoretically, the gift shop, Earth's gift shop or whatever. There was a lot of debate of what to call it in the story. Where did this whole vision come from? This abandoned earth because of climate change and all the rest. Yeah, it came from, it was inspired by a story of Ray Bradbury's, There Will Come Soft Rains, in which, you know, we're, we're, the story is basically told through the point of view of like an automated house. You know, I get, when he wrote it, it was, you know, far sci-fi. Now it's almost reality, right? <laughs> this idea of like completely smart home and all that survives are kind of the gadgets. And it's just such an interesting lens through which, you know, you can look at, you know, who we are and what we leave behind, but also, I mean, yeah, really to me that it was this kind of like form of, I guess, archaeology or anthropology told. And and so I, I wanted to, so I was invited years ago to write in a tribute anthology to Bradbury. And so I took it, that story as my inspiration and thought of what if, you know, all that survived of human civilization was our souvenirs and our tchotchkes and stuff you'd find in like a gas station gift shop. So that's where the seed of the story came from. And I imagine Jane, this young woman who whose job it is to, to basically sit there all day and wait for the occasional tourist, you know, in their spaceship to fly by and try to hawk their, you know, the, the keychains, like, come, come to earth. It's, it's really fun. You know, the, that sort of thing. So. And I like that you found a way to get some mother daughter drama right in the beginning there of, you know, pushing the limits and fighting and, you know, real life dialogue, except of course the limits are like outer space and instead of like, you know, going down to God knows where, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jane's mom works off planet, you know, but she, it's, it is, you're right. It's the same mother daughter dynamic, which we've got a 13 year old daughter and 11 year old son. So I'm witness every day to many <laughs> mother daughter conversations. <laughs> Quarantining with teens. <laughs> Unique challenge. Very interesting time. Another planet sometimes might sound nice. But <laughs> so, how did you get into writing to begin with? When did you know you were a writer? How did you get started? I started writing, well, I guess going way back, I started writing poems when I was a kid. We took a class trip to Yosemite, and I don't know what got into me, but I, you know, I just started like writing these little things down. I guess they, I called them poems. I don't really know what they were, but my teacher thought they were, you know, my teacher wanted to encourage them. And so he sent them to like the local paper and the local paper 
printed them saying, look, this eight-year-old kid wrote some poems. I guess that got me the kind of publication bug. That was pretty exciting. But I didn't actually start writing again until college. I wrote I wrote poetry at Berkeley. It was my minor. I was a biology major. I was supposed to be a doctor, but that didn't work out. So instead, I went to law school. And sometime after law school, or, or sometime in law school, I I realized, oh, I, I miss fiction. I started reading again. And right after I graduated, when I started practicing law, I also, at the same time, I think su- subconsciously wanted a kind of creative outlet. Like, I'm going into this law firm. It's going to you know, crush my soul or whatever. And I thought, well, I need to have some outlet. So I started writing these really weird, tiny short stories, like in the margins of notepads, or like I'd scribble an email to myself and shoot it off and just say, Later tonight, when I have time, you know, at like 11 o'clock, I'll, I'll come back to this. So I started writing those short stories right at the same time I was practicing law. And then it just took off from there. It was a very slow build. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still practice yeah. law on the side or no? I stopped a few years ago because I started writing for TV and that became the new day job. But I was, for more than a decade, I was writing stories. I started to get them published. It turned into a first short story collection for which I was paid like, you know, less than I made as a lawyer in like two weeks or something. It was, it was like, this is, you know, it was very clear from the beginning. This is not going to be a replacement for your job. This is something I love to do. And I think in a lot of ways that was liberating to, to not think of writing as my livelihood, you know? And so, so, but I kept publishing books and eventually started to, I think especially because I live in Los Angeles, or I, I did at the time, I started to meet people in TV and film. And through one of those people, an executive at HBO, I think I got kind of in the mix for this TV job on, on HBO. And I got the job, I, I don't know how. And, and so that, that's when I switched about six years ago. And tell me about the TV shows you've been involved in. I know there have been many. Yeah, the the first show I was on was, was Westworld, which was this big is this big sci-fi i guess it's safe to say it's dystopian it's it's set it's based on the 1973 michael crichton film of the same name where it's this futuristic theme park where rich people can go and like basically play pretend to be sort of in the wild west whatever narrative suits them on top of that though there's this kind of meta element because the show is not just about the people enjoying the park but it's actually in many ways it's more about the people who work at the park and are creating these robots and also telling the stories. So it, it was like meta science fiction. I thought, I literally thought I did, I had a, created a skill set of writing meta science fiction that nobody <laughs> would ever want, but it turns out somebody wanted it. So I got that job. And I think it also helped that one of my bosses, Lisa Joy, was a former lawyer. So maybe she had some like sympathy for me. <laughs> So I worked on that. I worked on a show for AMC called Lodge 49, which is no longer, but it was this great kind of world of characters and atmosphere created by a fiction writer named Jim Gavin. And he's a, just an incredibly talented writer. And he made this show along with Peter Ocko, who's an experienced showrunner. And so the I got to work on that for a bit and see a very different kind of vibe. I've worked on Legion for FX, which is Noah Hawley's show. I worked on a, a really, really fun show on Facebook Watch starring Elizabeth Olsen called Sorry for Your Loss. And it's about a young widow 
who is basically dealing with the aftermath of losing her husband at like the age of you know 30. And it's just incredible performances and created by this writer named Kit Steinkellner, who has already done many things, but I know will be like, will go on to do, write so many more things because she's incredibly talented. And so, yeah, that's, oh, and I worked for Alan Ball on the show called Here and Now on HBO, which lasted one season with a really fun group of writers and getting to meet and work with Alan Ball was amazing because I loved Six Feet Under. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things I may want to write for TV, actually, and, and then to actually meet him and then have him be my boss. So great. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's amazing. But I didn't. I don't know. Why I give you my whole resume. That was that was too much, probably. It wasn't. I'm I'm interested. I mean, I had read about it. I had read about you and your work and everything. But it's always really neat to hear, you know, from the, from the person who's been doing all this stuff and how that it sort of tracked in your own life. So no, don't worry about it. That was great. There's obviously a different. I, I my understanding of TV writing is a lot of it happens in writers' rooms, and you have to be very collaborative. Whereas short story writing perhaps or novels and fiction is much more of a solitary pursuit. Do you have a preference or do you like having the mix of both in your life? I mean, if I had to choose only one, it would be solitary, <laughs> but I do enjoy the mix. It's it. I think the two things are sort of, you know, feeding each other. And I, I like being around people, especially in an environment where there's like free food and... <laughs> It's, it's really fun. I mean, it's not something that most, you know, short story or novelists, short story writers or novelists experience this. Some people call it like a team sport. It, it sort of feels like soccer or hockey. You know, it's like you, you pass the ball, you don't know exactly where it's going to lead. And then sometimes you'll just see the conversation develop into something that you just couldn't have, you know, anticipated just a few minutes ago. And and just also getting to see how other writers' minds work, you know, in a really deep way. I mean, other than reading like the, you know, the art of fiction interviews in the Paris Review or, or places like that where they go really deep and you're like, okay, this helps me understand how this person thinks and works. It's really hard to get that kind of insight in someone else's, you know, method, I guess. So seeing it firsthand is, is pretty fun. What do you have coming up next? What are you working on after this? I'm adapting Interior Chinatown for Hulu. So hoping Amazing. can figure out how to do that. And, you know, I'd like to write another book, but this one took seven years. So I, I you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to rush it at all. Uh, and, and I'll definitely be writing more short stories. I mean, you know, writing, working on this with Amy and Scribed is just so fun because it's, one, it's nice to finish things <laughs> and have them out be out in the world. And, you know, I love the short story. It's how I started to write. And there's something about it that is, if anything, more, it's more demanding and it's more pure than a novel. You know, it, you can actually imagine, not to say writing a flawless short story, that's not how I would gauge it. You know, it's not as if there's flawed and flawless stories, but you can actually imagine the feeling of pulling off what you're trying to do, you know, and in a sort of finite amount of time rather than a novel, which is just sort of like, eventually someone's just going to rip it out of your hands. <laughs> Or you're going to send it in, in just an act of like exhaustion. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I'll be, I'm hoping to write more short stories soon. Well, it's great for the author to feel that sense of accomplishment and also for the reader, like you mentioned earlier, you know, that it's not as big an undertaking and yet you can still get a taste and then see, you know, when I was on Scribe, there's so many authors who've written these original works for them, even authors I've had on like Elizabeth Berg. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, I have to read 
her story and I have to read this and that, and it's not such a big commitment. And I think it'll be good for other people who don't, aren't as familiar with people's work to get, you know, like a little sampler, like trailers for books or something. <laughs> but anyway, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's your website or the podcast website, but I, I loved what you're saying about listening. You know, I think that's just, I, I'm botching the quote, but it, it's, you know, what is it exactly? So I don't... <laughs> you mean when I said something like, I believe in the power of listening and hearing other people's stories and all that good stuff. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. I can look it up. No, no, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm glad you read my website. That's so nice of you. I said, I believe in the power of stories. I believe in the healing power of a good conversation. I believe that listening is far more important than speaking. I believe that the right book can change everything. Is that what you meant? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of that. I, I can't really do better than that. I think the part that so true is, you know, listening rather than speaking and, you know, paying attention. And, and that means usually reading and listening rather than talking. Here I am talking and saying that, but I, I, I think, I think it's so true. And yeah, I, I read so many short story collections when I started to write and just getting other people's voices in there, you know, in, in my head and just the feeling it gives you, you know, reading like Laurie Moore, or Raymond Carver, or George Saunders. I mean, the sort of just the way it, it kind of lit me up and said, I don't, I could never do this, but I want to try to make someone else feel this way. I don't know that, that sense of wanting to connect with people, you know, and, and always using that as a kind of North star, I guess. So Excellent. Well, it's always nice to have my advice quoted back to me. <laughs> that's a, that's a first anyway. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks for letting me enjoy start to finish a short story and give me a feeling of accomplishment this week in particular. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks, Evie. It's nice to speak with you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks to pageandpairing.com for sponsoring today's episode. Go check them out, pageandpairing.com, the weekly email that brings you book, wine, and recipe recommendations. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 